Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. With me, I have Kristen Guile and Cindy Kuzma. Hey, Gina. Hi, Gina. Hey, team. Gina, who did you talk to this week? This week, I talked to Ed Buckley, who is a PhD, and he is also the CEO and founder of PeerFit. And PeerFit has a pretty interesting business model, one which has kind of resulted from Ed wanting to build a moat, right? <laughs> that he's taken on like a task that most of us would run screaming from, I think, which is to work with insurance companies. Could you tell us a little bit more about how all that came about? Yes. So PeerFit is an enterprise solution for taking classes using essentially your workplace benefits. So someone who uses PeerFit, that is presented to them as a an employee benefit uh, where they can get a certain amount of credits or classes via their workplace and take those classes either alone or ideally with their colleagues. And what's important about PeerFit is it is integrated with a lot of the major insurance providers. And that, Cindy, is what you were alluding to. An understatement is that integrating with insurance companies is hard. I do know, though, that it has provided an immense advantage for PeerFit when compared to its competitors, who are all getting a much later start. And Gina, you mentioned that ideally people who use PeerFit will take these group fitness classes with their colleagues. Uh, And that sort of goes back to something that you and Ed talked about, about the importance of community. And that's something that he really drives through PeerFit's culture. Can you tell me a little bit more about why this culture is so important and like how he went about instilling that when most of his team is actually remote and don't see each other all the time? Yeah, the team is actually 100% remote, which is nuts when you really stop to think about it. But on the flip side, it's all, it also makes a lot of business sense because then you can recruit the top talent from across the country. You don't have the overhead of offices or of, I don't know, Wi-Fi in every office or whatever else you would have to pay for in an office. And an office is expensive. You don't have that anymore. And you're able to give people the the sort of freedom that they want to be sort of entrepreneurial, but then you also give them the structure of a job and the benefits of a job and the security that comes with a job. But the culture of PeerFit, it's actually pretty incredible how much the people who work at PeerFit love PeerFit. If you look at the hashtag PeerFit and PeerFitting, you'll see people just using PeerFit, and a lot of them are PeerFit employees as well using those two hashtags. So they all are drinking the Kool-Aid and are what is called dog fooding in the tech industry, which is using your own product. For you at home, Kristen's face was disgusted. (laughs) But they, they do subscribe to the theory of dog fooding, of using your own product of, for lack of a better way to put this, eating your own dog food. So you know what it's like, so you know what the glitches are, so you know what the benefits are, and they love it. They go and work out together when they're in the same place or even when they're sort of working out solo. So they've instilled this sort of culture in this company that's so remote, and it's something that they're very, very proud of. Well, that idea of a totally remote workplace with a super fun culture is really exciting. I can't wait to hear more about it. So here is Gina with Ed. And goal getter, don't go anywhere. We've got a little bit more for you at the end of the episode as we hear from real life goal getters just like you sharing their goals and their stories. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. 
This is Gina Anderson Cohen. I'm here with Ed Buckley, PhD, CEO and Chairman of PeerFit. Ed, how's it going? I sound so old or with important. that title. Or important. I'm great, you know, especially because this is not the first time I've seen you today. I just saw you a few hours ago sweaty in a workout. And I love to start interviews that way, too, because I feel like you get to know a person a lot better when you can sort of see their workout style. Uh, it also kind of gives you a sense of who they are as a person, who they are as an employee, who they are as an employer, which is probably the insight that you played off of when you created PeerFit. Yeah, yeah funny uh, story. A lot of people at PeerFit used to work together at Gainesville Health and Fitness. And part of the interview process at Gainesville Health was they took you through a guided workout. And after I got hired, I had heard the, the logic that they were trying to do. And they said, we don't care if you do one rep on every exercise we bring you to. I just want to see how hard you try on everything and when you give up. And they're like, that's all we care. We're, there's been people who are really, really fit and we could tell they weren't trying hard versus people who might not be in great physical activity shape. But man, they tried really hard and we knew we wanted to hire them. It's just so funny. You learn a lot from somebody when you sweat with them, right? It's, it's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting point. So yeah, PeerFit for us was, was all about how do you build a bridge between traditional healthcare and all the incentives that go on in the fitness industry? And what we had found was both sides were staring at the, the edge of their cliff, looking at the other one saying, no, no, you come to me. No, you, you come to me, I'm important, right? Because healthcare is this multi-trillion dollar industry and fitness is a multi-billion dollar industry. And so they both think very highly of their positions and don't think that they should have to do anything. And we looked at that and said, we'll gladly come build the bridge for you. We, we make a joke, it's a billion dollar bridge. We'll come build it for you. And um, it's, it's an interesting thing, especially because in the US healthcare market, employers are really the centerpiece of it. And so if you want to touch healthcare, then you need to be in line with employers. And the way that we did it was employer worksite wellness initiatives, funded by themselves, funded by the carriers, and letting people go to fun workouts like we did this morning. Great little workout here in Chicago. That's what we wanted to achieve and just make it really easy to do that. And you didn't just start PeerFit out of nowhere. You had a background and you had knowledge in the wellness industry from a lot of different angles, both from being a fitness instructor and from your actual PhD, your, your studies that you completed at the University of Florida. Is that right? Yes. As my resume would make it sound like I have 70 years in the industry. <laughs> no, it, it has always been my passion. When I was, I remember being 13, I think that was the age we were allowed to go to the gym on our own, uh, where, where I lived at that age. And I was just obsessed with bringing people to the gym with me. And I didn't care what they wanted to do when we got there. I've just always had this obsession of bringing people together and doing it around fitness. And so that's what my studies were in. My studies were in. That's what my research was in. That's what my you know, part-time job through grad school was in. And it's just, it, I was able to blend all of this, I guess, magic of passion, energy, experience, and, and research and academics to bear. And here we are, you know, years later and PeerFit's growing and it's, it's, you know, it's been a really fun ride so far. That's super fascinating. And before we get into the first big question, I think it's very interesting that you're connecting to healthcare providers through the employers, because there are a lot of 
a lot of different companies that are creating workplace wellness that just acts as sort of a layer on top of what you're doing every day in the office, but you're really plugging into the health insurance and to the benefits that employees get. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It, it is a, a job that I think nobody wants, and that's why we were glad to take it once again. If you're looking at building a new, cool, innovative solution, you think, why would I want to go to a heavily regulated, red tape-filled bureaucracy like the big insurance carriers? That's just what they have to be, right? I mean, they're, they handle a lot of sensitive information. They handle a lot of money, and, and thus, to be safe. The cause and effect is they're very troublesome to work with. So the average innovative company says, oh my gosh, I want to go anywhere but there. And we looked at it and said, they're the ones with the pocketbook. They're the ones who are ultimately funding these activities. If you want to be in the most leveraged position as possible, run straight to them. And we knew that's where we wanted to be. But we also knew that on day one, we couldn't go to them and say, you're doing things terribly wrong. Listen to us, young startup, and we'll tell you what you should be doing. We wanted to go get traction with employers and with brokers and then eventually make it where they couldn't ignore us. That's very fascinating because it sounds like you've built your moat because no one else wants to do it and you just ran right at it. So let's talk about the moat and let's talk about PureFit because I'm assuming that I know the answer to your big goal. But can you tell me about a time that you accomplished a big goal, why it was meaningful to you and what it took to get there. Personally or at PeerFit? Anything. Let's Ooh, do both. Let's do both. I think uh, I'll do a really obvious one personally, getting my PhD. I had no I didn't have to do it. I was fine, you know, in the industry that I was in. I really wanted to do it. I, I love being a student and to just Go to the highest level that you can go academically, you know, whether it's an MD or a PhD or an ED, right? Whatever your industry is for what I do, it's it's a PhD. And to know that you can become an expert from a research perspective in that. Now, I view that as half the equation is now I wanted to go be an expert on the pragmatic execution side of it. And so it really was a passion project to have that. Um, I could do my job today without it, but I think it gives me a really unique aspect and an insight to the whole industry and what people who do research think about. So that was a really big accomplishment because we were doing PeerFit at the time of doing my startup. I had another startup and I was working two part-time jobs. So the accomplishment of the degree itself wasn't necessarily the success. It was doing it with all of those balls juggling in the air. From a professional standpoint, this is a fairly new one, but took years, right? Our first major national system-wide insurance carrier contract that we signed was the result of many meetings and many clients and pilots and, you know, months of back and forth. And then after we actually signed the contract and we threw ourselves a big party, like, good for you, you're so fantastic. The carrier came back and threatened to tear up the contract if we didn't renegotiate it. So, you know, we're sitting here thinking we're so fantastic as, you know, the young startup that got one of these contracts, right? That's kind of like a make it moment. And, uh, you know, a couple months in, just out of nowhere, I get a phone call and it's, we need to renegotiate. It was a really interesting time. What a gutting experience, too, because it, it sounds like that was while it was a milestone, while it was important to the company and, and you probably worked really hard to get it. You felt like you were on top of that mountain. That we finally did it. We've got this big thing. And then you just got knocked right off. Real quickly. Right. Real quickly. <laughs> and how did you recover from that? 
So, you know, I, I think a lot of people struggle when those moments come because they think of the worst case scenario. And maybe I'm just really weird. No, I am really weird. But I know that the way that I react, just my natural gut reaction is put the blinders on and only look at the path back up the mountain. Not look how far I fell or how could they do this to me? There is no blame. Blame does not help you in that scenario at all, right? So it is, you have to get things done. And at that moment, the only thing that matters is how do you get back to the top of the mountain? What resources do you need? Who do you need to call? What help do you need to ask for? But I, I think that's where our team really thrives in those moments because we've all been trained with this kind of attitude and culture of blame is irrelevant. doesn't matter how we got here. doesn't matter how we got down to the bottom of the mountain. We're at the bottom of the mountain. What do we need to, to, to climb back up? And that sort of speaks to your culture in general, too, because I think anyone who's worked in a large corporate culture has felt that sort of culture of, of blame. Whose fault is this? Who should we fire for this? You've seen movies where people say, like, someone's getting fired. If you can overcome that and be a solutions-oriented company, you can overcome a lot of obstacles. Is that is that your experience? Yeah. You know, I was reading a study the other day. See, here's the PhD nerd in me. Bring I was it. reading a study the other day about what your brain looks like when you're around people who complain and it looks so different i mean your brain lights up so differently when you're around people who complain and and i'm sure we've all heard this which is one of the most contagious things is negativity right it only takes one person for a moment and then everyone starts to act that way uh, we're really good at peer fit about not allowing that i would say we're all very positive people i think we do a good job of checking each other if we go down that route but I, you know, I always say if if I don't allow something at the top, then it's not going to be allowed all the way through the organization. And I particularly do not enjoy complaining. It does not solve any problems. So my rule is don't bring up a problem unless you want to hear about the solution. So I think that kind of cultural DNA is what helps us in those big moments when once again, you get knocked out of nowhere all the way to the bottom of your mountain doesn't matter how you got there. You can you can turn back the pages of time afterwards and figure out what you could have done differently. The only thing at that moment that matters is, should we be back on top of that mountain, number one? And if the answer is yes, let's get our butts in gear and go. Mm -hmm. And it also sounds like lifelong learning uh, is a part of this path. I'm sure that you continue to learn and continue to sort of go out after new knowledge. Was being a student always easy for you? There are hard days in anything that you do, but I love being a student. I love getting new ideas and, and whatever's your strength is your weakness. And so like, I love being a student. There are days that that curiosity gets me in trouble. What's the phrase? Curiosity killed the cat. That's um, the one. There are days that my curiosity gets me in trouble because I should be doing something. And I guess by nature, that's why I'm a disruptor and I've started a startup. I'm curious and like to try things. I like input. I like hearing things. I like being coached. And I think that at your essence, that's what a student is being, a good student is being about. And, and you're never done, whether you're done with school, but I seek out mentors and our investors and our board and advisors. I seek out input from them all the time. In fact, one of our board members told me the other day, he goes, you know, you don't have to give us as many updates as you do. You guys are doing fine why don't you guys just worry about what you're doing? I said, whoa, don't worry, we do. 
but I just like hearing input, right? I don't need your validation. I just want to hear input in case we're missing anything. And so I think that if you're constantly getting input and you're constantly learning, you never have to have a big decision. You never have to have a big learning moment because you get little pieces throughout every day and every week and every year. And then it just becomes part of your habits. And, and that's what life's about is finding habits so that they're easy. And if you can build a couple of really good habits like being a good student and seeking out new people to educate you, then you're going to have a pretty good life. And let's talk a little bit about your investors. Uh, I know that you're part of the Engage VC program. Just started this week. Tell me all about that. So that's kind of interesting. We have a really unique group of investors, and I think we've done it so it's so much differently than a lot of groups out there, right? A lot of people get their platform and get a couple customers and say, all right, man, do you know what my ego needs? I need just one really big investor and one big name. We didn't care. We, we did a bunch of angels who did their family offices. And if you live outside of the region, nobody would know probably who they were because there's something you can get from everybody and something you can get is autonomy. And once again, we have a really great team. They're sharp, they're experienced. And if we can get little coaching from smart, experienced people, we don't need a really big VC making connections for us because we can go do that ourselves. And so this last year, we've been looking at unique investment partners we could find. And I thought Engage was an interesting one. And at first we said, you know, uh, generally speaking, they help companies slightly behind us in the maturity phase. And we legitimately asked ourselves, are we, are we past being able to get quality outcomes from, from this program? And it was just such a good fit ultimately that we had to do it. And so that program started this week. And so for those of you who don't know what Engage is, Engage is out of Atlanta, Georgia. And they built this co-op investment fund of the top companies from Atlanta. So think Chick-fil-A, Delta, the Home Depot, UPS, uh, they got Georgia Tech involved. And so not only do you get an investment from these companies, you get direct access to them. And I don't mean here's middle manager, talk with him. You get direct connection to their CEO. You get to have dinner with Dan Cathy. You know, you, you get to do a lunch with, you know, the CEO of Delta. So... For me in a learning experience, I, I looked at this and said, oh my gosh, to, to be able to sit in a room, even for 30 minutes, with the titans of their industry, the people who are the smartest and have done so well you know, executing to be, build these great brands, how could you turn that down? Sounds like you've got some engaged program pride and you're definitely looking forward to the experience, which Absolutely. is a great segue to your future. Ah, uh -huh. I see how you did that. Mm -hmm. uh, so can you tell me about a big goal that you're striving to accomplish in the future, how you plan to get there, and why that's important to you? Yes, I will tell you as much as I legally can tell you. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. So our core business is connecting healthcare dollars, employers with the fitness industry, right? We, we view that as our core business. And there is a way for us to take that core business and basically double it by not doing anything new necessarily, but doing it a different way with the insurance carriers. So it's still insurance carrier dollars going to fitness experiences and data coming back, right? However, it's in a completely different way than we've ever done it with them. And it, it, it from a process standpoint, looks the same way that we came in. We disrupted a bunch of legacy big box gym fitness subsidy programs and allowed personalization and scale to happen. So we want to have this program launched 
by 2020, which sounds far away, but it is not because insurance companies have lots of deadlines and you have to file almost a whole year ahead of time. So that is something that we have spun up, literally a startup inside of PeerFit. We treat it as a startup. We've hired people who sold job to work on this startup. We keep it very lean. We have some of our department heads who basically offer a certain number of their hours every week to this startup. And that's how we see ourselves getting there is the same way that we built the original business. So it's the core product, it's the same customers, it's the same supply partners, but it's a different mechanism of doing it. And the reason why we didn't just let it be part of the company was we didn't want to distract the, the core company. Look, the core business is still one of the fastest growing companies out there right now. So why get in the way of anything that that company and that group is doing? And so that's why this is really our second startup, right? PeerFit 2.0, we have a nickname for it that I won't tell you, but you know, we, we have this great little startup and it's fun now. Originally, I was the startup you know, co-founder. Now it's almost kind of like I'm chairman of this board that oversees this startup because our department heads are really the ones who are, act like the investors and the mentors and, and I'm kind of there helping them help the startup. So I, I would say, how are we gonna get there? We're gonna get there by asking a lot of great questions to our partners, taking good input and making a lot of iterations. We're not the smartest people in the room. However, we're really good at listening to the smartest people in the room. And if we can push out a thousand cycles of change between now and the time we have to have stuff filed, then we're gonna have a great product. So it sounds like you can't talk about a lot that has to do with this big new growth product, but I do wanna know how you personally look at setting goals. Is it something that you do with any frequency or is it just when you see a big brass ring that you want to grab, you set a goal then and start creating a plan? I would say both. I'm a systems thinker by nature. And so whether it's a new problem or one that I have, I'm constantly returning cycles of how and what's the most efficient way to get there. I, I always think about efficiency in everything that we do. And so I'm never married to an idea. We could be in progress on the most efficient pathway and new information, new opportunity could come about that reconfigures them. It's like driving on waves, right? And then all of a sudden, maybe an accident happens or whatever, and it reconfigures your route. I would never ask, well, why does it reconfigure? I'm just going to go with it, right? Mm -hmm. There's a new efficient path. That's what we do. So from a goal setting perspective, I never tried to be married with the process to get there. Uh, just only know that if there's a better process, if there's a more efficient process, then I have no problem changing what we're doing on how to get there. I am also a bit of a uh, reactionary person. If I see something and I fall in love with it, I generally fall in love with it immediately or not at all. That's very much how I am with things. However, I, I try to think that if there's something that I personally am not in love with, but our team wants to do, I try to give everybody the autonomy to do what they want to do. I always give them the advice, you know, hey, this is why I wouldn't pursue that. But if you are going to, here's what you want to do, right? It's your department. I try not to get involved with people's hiring because it's their department and they're going to have to live with them. I, I kind of feel that way about everything. My father gave me a great piece of advice when I was a teenager, was about 15. And he said, son, if you ever do something and I tell you, hey, I think that's a bad idea and you do it anyways, you can still come to me and I'll help you out afterwards. I'm not going to throw it in your face that you did what I told you not to do. And I think it always stuck with me, which is who am I to tell people what to do and not do? I'm going to give them my opinion. I'll give them some suggestions. But if they want to do it and it doesn't work, so be it. If they're on your team, get them back in line and help them row in the right direction. 
So how do you help your team set goals? It sounds like you're at least there for them directionally to, to provide them guidance on processes. Are you also providing them a framework for goal setting and a framework for creating the, the big vision that you see? I really see that in, in two components. Uh, if I'm there to help project the path and the vision and kind of the velocity that I expect, my COO, my counterpart, Adam, he really helps with that framework, right? Because goals inside of our workforce are not just simply, well, what do we want to get done or what one KPI? It's everything from like budgetary goals. Hey, I want to accomplish these KPIs. And then also here's my budget. Do they line up? So that that really is an operational function. And I let Adam own that. And I, once again, give him input of how I think their process is working or, or have suggestions of how they can change that. But I really view my role when it comes to people's goals are direction and velocity. Where are you headed and how fast are you getting there? And other than that, I like to be around for them every day to give them little input because the way that I seek out input is the same way that I give input, which is I will talk to you know, Todd and Emma who travel with me all the time there, you know, here. I, I probably call each of them 20 times a day and we have a bunch of 60 second conversations and quick weigh-ins rather than really long conversations. So I let Adam help them drive what those goal processes are and I'm there to help give them little nudges every day. And that brings up a good point too, because your your workforce is mostly remote. Completely remote. Completely remote. And why why did you I'm just mostly fascinated about this. This has nothing to do with goals, except probably it does. Why did you choose to have a totally remote workforce? So I believe there's no such thing as good or bad. There's effective and ineffective. And if I want to have the best people and I want them to be able to be in the work environments that fit them. There is no one site that solves that. And so the most effective route to achieve that outcome is hire people and they can work from wherever, whenever, and however they want to. It, the, there's three people in this room right now, for those of you listening, and I doubt the three of us would all work at our best in the exact same place in the exact same city. And some of us have no problem working in the same office five days in a row. Some of us would probably go stir crazy after a day. That would be me. Uh, so I, I always wanted to make sure, and, and the early team, not just me, but the early team, really knew it was going to be important that, look, it's 2018. There's technologies that connect us, and I always challenge any traditional CEO. I say, I guarantee you I know more about what my team's doing, where they are in progress on a project, what input has been given than you do with your in-office employees. And oh, by the way, that hour it takes them to drive into their office and their hour to take home, our people are working. And they're making their own choices. They're feeling yep. autonomous. They feel like they're connected to you because you're giving them the freedom and autonomy. I clearly agree with your strategy because I prefer to work remotely as well, too. And our team has a lot of freedom here, not complete remote freedom. That's the dream. Yes. Well, with our unlimited time off and remote status, it makes a pretty appealing aspect for people to come work with us. I wouldn't say for us, but with us. If Jess is here, is the other person in our room, say hello to Jess, everyone. Everyone so says hello. Jess is an enterprise health consultant at PeerFit. In a few weeks, some of her coworkers are going to come up here and hang out with her. And if they wanted to work here all week long or make it a two-day trip, so be it. Everyone is on remote status. Even the people that are down in Tampa at quote-unquote headquarters, we still are on remote status. Everyone should be on the same status regardless of where you live. 
And obviously they have great perks, unlimited time off, remote working, and peer fit. Oh, yes, they do get peer fit. So, you know, what's the phrase you have to eat your own dog food? Yeah, dog fooding. Yeah, dog mm-hmm. fooding. So mm-hmm. for us, it, it, it was if you are genuinely excited about peer fit, why wouldn't we want to give that to our people as a, as a benefit? And then guess what? They can talk to people about it. They can tell us when something's not going right. They can tell us when there's suggestions. In fact, our data, our population data, we often don't include peer fit the employer in the data just because it would skew it so heavily. You have a group of people that are obsessed and run out of their monthly peer fit credits like 10 days into the month. So, you know, it, it is we have people that are very, very passionate and even still, you know, we don't have 100% of our people using it. And that's mm-hmm. okay, right? We we have very different people. Not everyone that works at PeerFit is a 28-year-old millennial who just loves fitness studios. It, we have a very diverse group. And I mean, we just won some a, a lot of awards this year for our culture, and which is even more outstanding because we're a remote company. So having a great culture and doing it remotely, I think is just awesome. We love it. And we're super proud of those awards, whether it's, you know, best leadership team, management team, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to win some for best CEO for, for women employees and for diversity. That's really important to us. And, and I would say that my job above and beyond just vision and velocity is culture. If it's not my most important priority, then it's not going to be anybody else's. It's a great point. Before we wrap this up, I have one last question, sort of related to everything you're talking about. Obviously, everyone has a different working style. Everyone also has a different way that they prefer to work out as well, whether that means they want constant variety, whether that means they want to do a routine or a regimen. What is your workout style? What do you crave? You're like the first person to ask me that. And I've done a lot of these podcasts. So I I appreciate this question. This is really good. I would say what I like to do is have about 70% of my workouts being interval. So think of the orange theories of the world. I want to get my butt kicked doing running and, you know, the weights at kind of a fast repetition. That's what I love that being 60, 70%. And I don't mind hopping around. I don't care if it's you know, studio A, B, and C, that doesn't necessarily bother me as much where some people are either, I have to go to this instructor or have to go this stuff. As long as I'm doing a good, hard interval workout, I'm pretty happy. The other 30% kind of like to change it up. Those are, I'll get in habits for a couple of weeks or I use those as, well, I really just want to be with my friends and coworkers. So whatever they happen to be doing, I'll be happy with. So sometimes it's another 30% of interval work because that's what they want to do. And I love boxing. I, I get in these kicks where I do boxing class just because it's fun to just go hit things hard, right? And every now and then I get tricked into going to hot yoga. And then every time I'm like, oh, why did I come here? I'm not, I'm not a yogi. I'm not great in it. But it is good to go. If you're going to do yoga, at least do hot yoga. And you sweat everything out and you kind of feel cleansed afterwards. But I will tell you, surprisingly, that I love bar. So I go to bar method in Tampa every week when I'm there. Every Friday, I try to do the noon class, which is pretty rare for a male to be in bar class, let alone to not be dragged by you know their significant other. I go every week voluntarily and it's become, I would say, one of our staples with the Tampa Peer Fit team. We will have, you know, five, six people every single week at that Friday noon bar class at Bar Method. And I love the owner. She's a good friend of mine. She makes class fun, even though I'm shaking and look like a total idiot while I'm there at class. 
I love that. I I love bar, and I think it's incredible. You'll you'll see more and more men, I think, in the coming years doing bar and teaching bar. That's just my prediction. Anything else that we should know about PeerFit? How can we find you? Where can we find you? What should we look for? Oh, you should look for a group of crazy people. That's our staff. No, um, go to PeerFit.com. We're very active on literally every social media. So you know, at PeerFit is basically whether it's Instagram and we have really fun stories. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that because I'm involved in them because I am not. But man, I I love going on Instagram and following our own stories every week. They they're, They just do such an outlet outstanding job our team's awesome but yes we're very active on social media it's peerfit.com you you know we have apps for android and, and and apple and you can use those and just go on there and whether you want to use it as an individual or you want to go nominate your employer and say uh excuse me employer why why don't we have this perk there's an, a mechanism on there you can nominate your employer and we'll reach out to your employer for you on android and on iphones right absolutely Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for joining me on the We Got Goals podcast. You certainly are an inspiration. Well, thank you for having me. Girl, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not. Hey, goal getters. This is Cindy Kuzma, and I just wanted to give you a heads up that we're about to play another goal from one of you. If you would like to be featured on a future episode of We Got Goals, all you have to do is record a voice memo on your phone or computer. Just tell us about a goal that you've accomplished, a goal you have set for the future, or give us your best goal-getting tip. Email that to me at cindy at asweatlife.com, and you could hear your voice on an upcoming episode. Now, here is one of your goals. Uh, my name is Julian, and I'm from Chicago. So I went through my own fitness journey over the past three years, lost about 60 pounds in total. Um, but when I first started out, the main thing that I was trying to do was kind of get that quick fix because I was so sick of like being overweight and fat and I thought to myself, oh, you know, if I could just lose 20 pounds in, you know, a month, it would be great. And I found that trying to do those quick fixes and, you know, trying to cheat your way to a goal doesn't really work out because in the end it backfires on you. I mean, I ended up losing and gaining the same 10 pounds over and over and it wasn't until, you know, I set like small achievable goals and really tried to change my habits and lifestyles that I was able to get there and, you know, be successful in that journey. So I think the big thing that I learned there is just, you know, try to set small attainable goals. Don't try to shortcut your way towards success and, uh, you know, develop a work ethic, develop good habits, and you'll get there. Um, I think the big thing for me was keeping a consistent schedule. Um, so when it came to like my diet, you know, I kept a very specific eating window every single day, and I started in small steps. So initially I was just trying to do everything, right? I was cutting the carbs, cutting the calories, like, you know, fasting, everything. And eventually I just went step by step. I said, okay, I'm going to force myself to eat in this eating window and I'll eat whatever I want for a while. And then once I'm comfortable with that, I started, you know, counting my calories. And I didn't even, like, uh, you know, lower them at, any, at, at this point. I just started counting them, started making sure that I was comfortable with the idea of tracking my food all the time. And I kept this up for, like, months. And then, you know, slowly by slowly, I started adding more and more to that formula until, you know, I was able to, like, stay at a caloric de deficit and you know, lose that weight over a sustainable period of time over about, well, you know, like a year and a half or so. And I've kept that off for about a year now. So that was, uh, those are some of the little things that I did in this specific goal. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not around. Just know I'll be back. So no need to frown.
This podcast is a SweatLife.com production, and it's another thing that's better with friends. So please, share it with yours. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including on Spotify. And hey, while you're at it, pretty please leave us a rating or a review. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to our guest this week, Ed Buckley, to TechNexus for the recording studio, Kathy Lai for editing, and of course, thank you to you, our listeners.